Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. Praise the Lord. If you'll turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, we're going to be reading uh, verses 4 through 6 and verses 31 through 34 in just a moment. We're continuing our series on the seven deadly sins, and we are on number six. Can you imagine? We've already gotten all the way through. Amen. Hopefully our lives are being changed and purified for the Lord. Amen. And today's message is titled, Gluttony, the Most Tolerated Sin. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There was a documentary a few years ago that was titled The Man Who Ate Himself to Death. And it was the story of Ricky Jr. Naputi, a man from Guam. And he was an average-sized child as he was growing up, but in his late teens, he said he developed an addiction to food and began to balloon in size until he reached his peak weight at a whopping 900 pounds gaining him the notoriety of being, at that time, the world's fattest man. He was bedridden, unable to shower, unable to really do anything. And his wife had to take care of him, had to do everything for him. And she also supplied him with the junk food he loved so much. But eventually, she decided to leave him, filing for divorce. Ricky tragically died at the young age of 39 years old. You know, shows about extremely obese people have become very popular on cable channels with titles like My Big Fat Fabulous Wife and 1,000 Pound Sisters and a variety of other titles. But this is really no light matter because being extremely overweight can lead to a variety of sicknesses and can dramatically shorten a person's life and not only shorten their life, but can dramatically reduce what they can do and especially what they can do for the Lord, amen? And we generally associate obesity with gluttony, but it might surprise you to know that you don't have to be fat to have a problem with gluttony. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> The fact is that we live in a food-obsessed society here in the United States. In fact, we have entire cable channels, several of them, dedicated to sh cooking shows 24-7. And you can drive down any main street in our city, and it's lined with what? Fast food chains and dine-in restaurants. And if you don't feel like going out, you can get almost any kind of food delivered to your home in the comfort of your easy chair. Just order it on your, online on your cell phone and it will be brought to your door by DoorDash or Uber Eats or a growing list of other food delivery services. And that's why the subject of tonight's message in our series on the seven deadly sins is relevant for all of us because we're going to be looking at the sin of gluttony. And I think we'll discover that it's a lot more than we anticipate it to be. The seven deadly sins are, as we've said, a list of sins identified by church leaders many centuries ago as particularly dangerous for Christians, for 
Christians. This is about God's people. And although this list doesn't appear as such in the Bible, the individual sins listed are very definitely condemned in Scripture. Sins like pride, envy, anger, laziness, greed. We've gone through all of those. Tonight we're going to be looking at gluttony. And as we've been looking at this list, it just reemphasizes the truth that, you know what? We are all sinners. We sin in many ways. We struggle in many ways with fleshly desires, and we need the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. This series is not intended to cause us to walk under condemnation or to cause us to become discouraged, but to remind and encourage each of us that, that we, as we daily depend on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, he can change us and he can enable us to live a righteous, God-honoring life. Amen? So tonight, as we address the sin of gluttony, uh, don't walk out, don't tune out, amen. As we address the sin of gluttony, it's not a sin that we often hear preached. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on the sin of gluttony? Not one hand. And yet it's, well, one hand, all right. And yet it's, it's uh, something that is condemned in Scripture, so it's important uh, for us. But it's not often preached, but it's a sin that we've all likely committed who among us at some point has not said wow I ate too much or if I eat one more bite I'll just explode amen how about Thanksgiving day when we gorge ourselves, and then I gotta take a nap you know, because of course that tryptophan from the turkey kicks in <laughs> and gets a hold of you. So, but even though gluttony may not be a habitual problem for most of us, we likely commit it more often than we would like to admit. And in Numbers 11, we see the deadly nature of the sin of gluttony. Israel had been wandering in the desert only a few weeks, and every day God was miraculously supplying manna for them. And the Bible tells us manna tasted like honey wafers, and it was a divine superfood. You know, we always hear about superfoods today that are packed with the nutrients that your body needs. Well, this had every nutrient that you needed to sustain life. So it was a divine superfood containing all the nutrition essential for life. And it was delivered outside their door every day by God. He was the first Uber Eats. He delivered it to them every single day. But the people of God soon got tired of manna, and they despised God's provision. And you can almost hear their complaints. Manna cereal for breakfast. Manna sandwich for lunch. Manna casserole for dinner. How much more manna can we eat? You know, you can just hear that complaining because it, it was their nature. And this is where we pick up the story in Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic, all that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. And the complaints culminated in a full-scale rebellion against Moses and against the Lord. And as we read on in the passage, it says that God got angry. 
at the people, and God gave them over to the lusts of their flesh. Let's pick up reading again in verse 31. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night until the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. I don't know what they intended to do with it. There was no refrigeration, so you're going to eat 50 bushels? They gathered 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. So the place was called Kirbroth Hatava, which means graves of gluttony. Uh-oh. Graves of Guttenly, because there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. And, and the Bible tells us God gave them over to their lusts. It means he gave them what they wanted, but at a great cost, a severe plague among them that resulted in the death of many as a result of their gluttonous attitude and actions. And, and we see that God takes gluttony very seriously. And for that reason, it's important for us to understand what gluttony is and why it's such a serious sin. First of all, gluttony is not a matter of overeating. It's a matter of overindulgence. Gluttony focuses our attention on the provision rather than the provider. The children were not grateful for the manna that God provided for them every day. Instead, they complained, we're tired of manna. And they craved a variety of foods that they used to have back in Egypt. I guess they forgot that when they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They were beaten. They were oppressed. They worked hour after hour till their uh, bodies were worn out. They forgot all of that stuff. And then when God sends them the abundance of quail, they fail to acknowledge God for the miracle of his provision. They focus on the meat rather than the master, and they fail to give God thanks. So gluttony places an over-exaggerated emphasis on food. It is more than eating too much. It is the attitude, the relationship that we have with food that is out of balance. Hello. Hello. And it causes us to place greater importance on food than on God and on what God has said. However, gluttony is much broader than merely overeating. In Numbers 11, the children of Israel became consumed by their desire for meat. They lost all control, gorging themselves on quail. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines gluttony as greedy and voracious eating associated with stubbornness, rebellion, disobedience, drunkenness, and wastefulness. It's amazing that the United States regarding food is one of the most wasteful nations in the world. A lot of people go to a restaurant, they serve you supersized because the portions they give you in most restaurants is not what you should be eating. It's about double what you should be eating. And we either eat it all, which we shouldn't, or a lot of times people just leave the excess on the plate and it gets thrown away when there are people who are starving. Hallelujah, anyhow. Amen. 
But, but once again, we see that gluttony is included as one of the seven deadly sins because, as uh, we just saw, it is the host of other sins because gluttony is a lack of self-control. And when we cannot have control in what we eat, we tend to not be able to have control in other areas of our life as well. Amen. Hallelujah. Gotta love me if you want to go to heaven. Amen. But even though we generally associate gluttony with overeating, the biblical meaning of gluttony is much broader. The Hebrew word zalal, translated as glutton, means to shake, to be morally loose, to be given to excessive indulgence of fleshly pleasure, to be unrestrained or without self-control. The Greek word for gluttony is phagos, and it means to be an eater, an overeater, or a glutton. However, when the religious leaders falsely accused Jesus of being a glutton, the word that they used was in the sense of being given over to loose and, and excessive living with no restraints, with no control. Of course, it was a false accusation against Jesus. So gluttony speaks of a lack of self-control and a preoccupation with our fleshly desires. One writer states that in the fourth century, the monks who compiled the original list of seven deadly sins placed gluttony as first on the list, probably because gluttony was a nice shorthand for all the sins of the flesh, because it's that giving in, that indulgence in fleshly desire. And there's a story that I read that I thought was quite unique. It's the, a story that tour guides tell uh, when, when you travel to, uh, to this particular country, Portugal. And uh, whether it's a myth or true, uh, I don't know. But at the Albacoa Monastery in P Portugal, there's a very narrow door in its former dining hall that is only one foot wide, 12 inches. And it has been referred to as the anti-gluttony door. It is said that the monks were required to go through this door to the kitchen to get their meals. And if they could not fit through the door, it meant they were eating too much. If they couldn't fit through the door, they wouldn't get any food. If they couldn't get through the door, they wouldn't be able to eat anything. Some of us may need to renovate our kitchens. And we could launch a new diet program called the Narrow Door Diet. Amen. Put that one, uh, that one foot door in our kitchens. But as one uh, writer so aptly noted, it's interesting that Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden involved food. And Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness involved food. Turn these stones into bread. Hunger was the entry point the devil used to get Adam and Eve to sin. So there is a forged link between food and sin. And gluttony is a door to many other fleshly indulgences. And that's why it is one of the seven deadly sins. Now a second principle, gluttony focuses on satisfying the flesh rather than the soul. In speaking of the... Um, uh, of the events of Numbers chapter 11, the psalmist writes in Psalm 106, verse 15, and I'm going to read it from the New King James because it better captures the original Hebrew. It says, And he gave them their request, but sent them leanness of soul. So they wanted meat, they wanted meat, they wanted meat. So he said, You want meat? I'm going to give you meat up the nose here. But they suffered for it spiritually, they experienced leanness of soul. So what does that all speak to us? Gluttony 
seeks to find joy and satisfaction in food rather than in God. Gluttony is not a matter of the stomach. It is most often a matter of the heart. It, it, it often goes much deeper than physical hunger or desire. There's generally an inner emptiness that the person is trying to eat to fill. In fact, gluttony is often associated with inner emotional brokenness. That's why when you go uh, to get um, stomach reduction surgery, bariatric surgery, they normally require you to go through a year of counseling before they'll give you the surgery. Why? Because most people eat, overeat emotionally. And so they're trying to fill a hole that is in their soul. Well, we know ultimately the only thing that can fill that hole in our soul is God. A and we also find that gluttony is a form of rebellion that seeks satisfaction apart from God, believing food to be the answer, like the children of Israel consuming the quail. One author suggests a quick quiz to expose if, if this is the reason that you eat. Question number one, when life is difficult, what do you seek to find joy and satisfaction? Somebody's honest, food. When you're hurting, where do you turn to find comfort? That is typically it for many people. <laughs> Get out that half a gallon of ice cream and you're just going away at it. Third question, when you think of relaxing, what does it involve? Food. I can ask a fourth. <laughs> when you have a fellowship at church, what does it involve? <laughs> Food. <laughs> but here's another question. That one wasn't on his list, by the way. Here's another question. Do you turn something that God meant for us to enjoy, food, into something bad through excess? For someone who struggles with gluttony, the answer to the first three questions, when life is difficult, when you're hurting, or when you want to relax, where do you turn? The answer to those three questions will determine whether you have a wrong relationship with food, whether you struggle with gluttony or not. They look to food to comfort when they are hurting, or to find joy when they're enduring a trial, or to satisfy the emptiness of their soul. Most overeating, most gluttony has an emotional uh, factor to it. And if we deal with the emotional factor, the other will take care of itself. Are you following me? When we understand that gluttony is a matter of the heart and not the stomach, then we realize, as one writer aptly states, a skinny person could actually be a glutton because that's where he finds comfort, joy, and satisfaction, even if his body is able to metabolize his intake efficiently. So, you know, just because a, a somebody's skinny doesn't mean that they don't have a struggle with gluttony. It's just they may have a, a, a metabolism that burns off the calories quickly. Whereas someone who may be overweight has a slow metabolism, they may not be a glutton. They just may have a very slow metabolism that can't burn the calories. I am one such because <laughs> I eat a, a, a regimented vegan diet of about 1,200 calories per day, exercise six times a week, and I have a slow metabolism. I once went to an endocrinologist to talk to him about the issue, and he goes, just thank God you're healthy. Don't take no medication. You'll find the way you are. Just slow metabolism. I'm like, I just paid you <laughs> to tell me I have a slow metabolism. 
But hallelujah, anyhow, I comfort myself with the thought that one day in Jesus' presence, I will be thin. Hallelujah. Get my glorified body. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, so an overweight person might not be a glutton because that person is more inclined to gain weight uh, and, and, and uh, their metabolism is slow. The scale is only a possible indicator of gluttony, but it doesn't tell the whole story, amen? So don't judge somebody just because they're overweight. Ah, seven deadly sins, you're committing gluttony now. <laughs> All right. Gluttony makes food a god. In Philippians 3.19, Paul warns about those who are headed for destruction, saying that their belly or their appetites is their god. Again, in Romans 16, 17 through 18, he warns believers to stay away from those who are um, doing things that are contrary to Scripture because they're not serving Christ. He said they're serving their own belly or their own appetites. So when, when, when he talks about it in that way, he's saying they're, they're making a, a, their physical appetites, their physical desires a God in their life. So the scripture de depicts gluttony as a form of idolatry. And of course, we know the Bible says you can't serve two masters because you're either going to allow the flesh to control you or you're going to allow the spirit to control you, but you can't do both. Amen. When the children of Israel gorged themselves on quail, their gluttony had a direct impact on their relationship with God. They, God was angry with them, God judged them, and God gave them leanness of soul. Their bellies were full, but their souls were empty. Their souls were wasting away. It affected their relationship with God. So from these verses, the Bible is clear that when you allow your appetites to control you, that has become an idol in your life that will directly impact your relationship with God in a negative way and will ultimately lead to destruction. Third principle, gluttony can be beaten through returning to a biblical perspective of food and eating. This is a very important principle for us to get down. We need to eat to live, not live to eat. There's a big difference. When we eat to live, we are eating healthy foods in a healthy um, portion size to nourish our body and give us the strength that we need to live and to be healthy. Amen? But when we live to eat, Oh, that tastes good. I want to have that. Oh, I'm hungry. I want to have that. That becomes our focus and it begins to consume us. Amen? When we um, eat to live, we are concerned about eating the right things that will give us health. Amen? I love a statement several years ago when I made the switch towards being plant-based as a result of being diagnosed with cancer, I came across a powerful statement and it said, because foods actually have the power to cure cancer. And I, I was just enlightened when I began to do research into that area and changed my whole eating towards that end. But, um, but I came across a statement that said, let food be your medicine and let your medicine be your food because God has put in food the properties that can heal us of many sicknesses and diseases. It's because we're eating wrong that our bodies are so sick, amen? You know, uh, we, we wear ourselves out praying, oh God, heal this person of a heart attack or heart disease or whatever, and then they're, they're chowing down on a pound of bacon every week. 
and we're wearing ourselves out praying, and, and they're eating heart disease every week, you know. And, and, and so, you know, we've got to, our body is the temple of God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He only gives us one for this life. And that body is intended to serve him and fulfill his purpose. And when, when uh, we don't eat correctly and it impacts our health, it impacts our ability to be able to serve God as well. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen or oh me. Praise the Lord. All right. I'll stop meddling and go back to scripture. All right. Because some of you are like, can we move on? Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 13. Paul says, I have the right to do anything. Or you could say, I have the right to eat anything. Okay. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. You have the right to eat a pound of bacon, but it's not beneficial. Hallelujah. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Don't let food control you. Don't let food become your God. Verse 13, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. What he's saying is, you were not created just to eat food, just to indulge your desires, all right? He goes on, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So in this passage, Paul is addressing physical desires, whether it's overindulgence in food or sexual immorality. And look at this, he puts them both on the same level. So you're like, well, I don't fornicate and I don't commit adultery. Oh yeah, but you just ate a pound of bacon. <laughs> hallelujah you gotta love me if you want to go to heaven you can't hate and be in heaven amen hallelujah i'm just telling you the truth i love you i want what's best for you amen so so here you know um god he addresses sex and god created us as sexual beings and that that sex is supposed to be expressed in the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman but to indulge sexual desires outside of marriage is sin and it has many destructive consequences Paul says God also created our bodies to need to eat to sustain life. But to overeat is sin because it makes food our master, a controlling influence in our life rather than God, and it destroys life. Paul goes on to speak about how our body belongs to God, and it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we need to honor God with our bodies. Ooh. Our body is his temple. And we need to take care of his temple. What if you came into church? Because we consider this a temple, right? What if we came into church every week and, you know, the chairs were all broken and, 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 and the paint was peeling off the walls and wouldn't, wouldn't honor God very well, right? What if, we're all, what if our bodies are all disease-ridden and we can hardly walk around? That's not honoring to God if we have something that we can do that is within our ability to change that. Now, I know there's certain things that are outside of our ability, right? We're exposed to things in the environment. We don't have any control over that that can cause disease. We have genetic dispositions to disease. But the biggest factor in our health is what we eat and our activity, our exercise. Amen. Now, let me tell you something. Several years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer, 
And I thought at that time I was eating healthy. You know, I had my Greek yogurts and my fruit and all that stuff, and I thought I was eating healthy. But anyway, um, that's when I made the big shift in my diet. No sugars, no white carbs, low carb, um, you know, that kind of thing. And then no meats, no milk, no, you know, no plant, uh, no animal products whatsoever. But I'll tell you this, not only do I believe that that was me cooperating with the Holy Spirit in healing me, of stage three cancer, a very rare cancer that the doctors gave little hope for my recovery because they said it, had a, it was very aggressive and had a very high rate of recurrence and that it did not respond well to chemo and radiation. So while I, believing, I was believing God and praying, guess what? Faith without works is dead. We got to do our part to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I praise God seven years out and I'm cancer free. But that was not the only benefit. Prior to that time, I was starting to get that old age groan when you start to get up out of a seat and your knees hurt and you're like, oh, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand. All right. So, you know, I would get that and, and my knees would hurt, you know. Let me tell you something, changing the way I eat, I have absolutely no pain in my body right now. Now, I can tell you, if I had continued eating, and I thought I was eating healthy, but if I'd continue eating that way, I would probably have arthritis by now and be uh, impaired in my mobility. And, you know, sometimes here they'll tell you when they're having computer problems, I get down on the ground and I'm hooking things in behind and then I'm back up again and then I come up here and pre, you know. I wouldn't be able to do that if I had not changed the way I'm eating. And, of course, I exercise, you know, every day. So, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're only given one. And our body is supposed to be a vehicle of serving the Lord. And if we don't take care of this body, then it can hinder us from doing anything from, for the Lord. You know, it can keep us from being able to, to be active and serve the Lord and go out and witness to people and, and, and be involved in ministry. In the it can keep us from doing that because our health is, is, is uh, impacted by how we're eating. And I'm not trying to speak any kind of condemnation on anybody. I'm trying to say, take care of yourself. You only get one body, and no one else is going to take care of your health but you. And God wants you to be healthy. And God will bless you and bless your health, but you got to do your part. Hallelujah. You got to love me. Amen. We need to eat to live and not live to eat. When we get the, the reverse of that, food becomes our Lord. It becomes the master of our Lord. And a good way to break food's mastery over us is to make fasting a regular part of our spiritual practice. Boy, it's so quiet in here. Hallelujah. Fasting breaks food's mastery over us. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Fasting is about the appetites of our spirit for God by suppressing the appetites of our flesh for food. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, another principle. Enjoy what you eat, but do not eat to excess. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 25 says, So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? So what we learn from this is, you know, God intended food not only to nourish us, but for our enjoyment. If not, 
he would not have created so many delicious varieties of food. Now, we have taken the healthy foods that God has provided us, and oftentimes we dehealthify them by the way that we cook them. You know, got a lot of oil on it, or you put a lot of cheese on it, or you put a lot of cream in it. And, and, you know, somebody uh, the other day that I was out to eat with, <laughs> they were eating some um, Alfredo pasta, and, and you could just see the oil swimming on top of the Alfredo sauce. And the only thing I could think to myself was, cholesterol and, uh, and, and plaque building up in arteries, you know, and, and, and so, so sometimes, you know, we, we, we just make unhealthy choices, but the enjoyment of food is intended to be a gift from God. However, the wisdom writer also warns us against overeating in Ecclesiastes 10, 17. says, happy is the land whose king is a noble leader and whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work not to get drunk or not to overindulge. The word drunk here is used in the sense of overindulging. So he says, you know, you can be happy when you eat at the right time to gain strength as opposed to eating to overindulge. He says get drunk, but the word really means to overindulge. So um, we need to eat enough for strength and health and enjoy it, but don't overindulge. Turn to God not to food for comfort. Don't run to food when you are hurt, when you are sad, when you are stressed, or when you're anxious, turn to God. Hallelujah. When you're happy, turn to God and praise him. When you're hurting, turn to God and say, God, comfort me. Amen. When you're going through a difficult time, turn to God and say, God, I need your help. Why? Because Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it, and they are safe. Amen? So run in to the name of the Lord. He is the only true source of comfort, peace, strength, and help. Gluttony is a deadly sin because it's not just about overeating. It's about overindulging our fleshly desires that can never truly satisfy. It's about allowing food to become our Lord and Master, to become our God rather than God. It makes an idol out of food, looking to food for, for joy and satisfaction rather than to God, and that's sin. So let's surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit because one of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. So if you're having a problem in this area, surrender to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, take control. I need your help in this area. Let's make a commitment to eat healthy. Do you notice that in the garden, God gave them of every tree of the garden. He didn't give them, you know, fatty red meat. and That came later because of men's choices, but he gave them every tree of the garden. Vegan from in the garden, hallelujah. And then do you remember what happened to Daniel and his friends when they refused the meat from the king's table and they ate only vegetables and fruit? They were healthier than all the other princes in the king's court. And they were smarter. Their brain functioned better. Hallelujah. So even if you don't go vegan, eat more vegetables, eat more fruits, eat less meat. 
You know, there are blue zones in the world, and this is a little extra sermon, no extra charge. There are blue zones in the world regarding health, and these blue zones are places where people uh, generally uh, live into the hundreds. They're 110, they're 130, without disease. And one of the characteristics of these blue zones is that they don't eat meat. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So vegetables, fruits, living things. Eat living things, not dead things. Living things give you life. Dead things, cows and chicken, they give you death. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So let's make a commitment to eat health and take care of our body because our body belongs to God. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let's make a commitment to run to God as our strong tower rather than to food during our times of hurt, sorrow, and stress. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and think about your relationship to food tonight. And in that relationship with food, are there some things that need to change? And if so, let's pray that God would help us in this area. Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now, Lord God, and we just humble ourselves before your word and your spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just deal with our hearts today and show us if there's something in regard to our relationship with food, to how we view food, to the foods that we're eating, the ways that we are indulging our fleshly appetites that needs to change, that you would convict us by your Holy Spirit, and that we would respond to that conviction by repenting and surrendering and saying, Lord, help me to change in this area. Father, you said in your word that you want your people to prosper and be in good health. So help us, Lord God, to cooperate with that blessing by eating in a way that gives us strength and in a way that heals us and gives us health. Father, do this work in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I love you. I hope you still love me. God bless you and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.